Well, what we will be talking about today as we conclude uh, the series that we started back in September, Ruined, a Biblical Understanding of Sin. And let me just once again welcome you to fellowship. If you are new or newer, welcome. And I hope that you have already been blessed. And I hope you also are just welcomed and received. We're thankful that you're here. We are going today to not just conclude the series, but we're going to conclude the series by uh, looking at the cross, which, which is what we, we just sung about. We spent weeks talking about sin in a lot of different ways. And so today, this morning, it'll be important for us to take time uh, to look at the cross the cross, crucifixion, and our sin is, is how I've entitled this message today. And, and, and as my introduction, I just thought a very simple introduction today. I just want to invite you to look at the cross behind me. To just really look at it. it it's, it's, I love this cross. It's one of the, it's one of the main highlights of of this worship center. When we were designing it and thinking about having the cross big and central, and it is, it's big, it's real big, and it's central. You can't miss it, it's, it's intentional. You can't look at someone on the stage without the cross kind of looming in the background. It's always there and it's always making a statement. But it is possible, it's possible, it's, it's unimaginable almost, but it is possible that we can become too familiar with it, that we don't even notice it or think about it anymore. And, and what a symbol it is when you really think about it. I want you to, and that's what I want you to do today. Do you realize that this centerpiece, uh, uh, the centerpiece of this very beautiful worship center is an instrument of death? That, that's what our, that, that's what is the, the, the central, uh, you know, theme and symbol of this worship center is an instrument of death. And not just any kind of death, the worst kind of death possible and imaginable crucifixion and yet there it is our symbol how is it even appropriate for that to be the case yet it is today as we conclude this series again on sin we're going to look and we're going to focus on the cross we're going to look and focus on Christ's death, what it means, why the cross, why crucifixion, and what does it mean for all of us and for our sin. And so I don't know if maybe this is your first Sunday here, or if you're, you know, stepping in, you haven't been a part of, of the series. My, my, my thought on that is God is sovereign and he has planned for you to be here, and I know he has, he has something for you. And I hope and pray that, that you would be open to it. And for those of us who've been here over the past several weeks, I think this will be a good way 
for us to conclude. And I know he has something for all of you as well. So let's pray and ask God to lead us. Lord God, thank you for the cross. Thank you that we can sing about it. Thank you for the truth of of what it means. Help us now, each one of us, to have open minds and hearts to understand it with, uh, with freshness, just not a stale idea. Give us new eyes to see and understand the beauty of the cross, we pray. Guide and direct me by your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name, amen. So I want to take some time early on here to understand the history of the cross and crucifixion. And this will be very brief. You, we could spend all uh, an hour on this, but, but I want to take some time to do this. And think about this right when we start. The cross came about because evil men devised the most heinous, torturous, execution method known to humanity, crucifixion. So it's the idea of crucifixion that led to the creation of the cross. And it was devised by evil men, designed to bring horror on people. You can go back to as far back as 519 B.C., Darius, the first of Persia, is known to have crucified 3,000 of his enemies in Babylon. Probably the first recorded crucifixions that we, we have. After Alexander the Great's empire, Antiochus IV Epiphanes, he crucified Jews who refused to submit to the Greek culture and Hellenization that was spreading throughout Palestine. But it was the Romans in the first century who really perfected crucifixions. See, they took what was really an ancient kind of brutal method of execution and and, and they turned it into a spectacle. A spectacle of shame, suffering, pain, and eventual death. Crucifixion is intended to inflict the maximum amount of pain, suffering, and shame on its victims. And the Romans, they did it in public. Because again, they wanted to make it a a spectacle. And they wanted to make it a deterrence. Don't you dare rise up against your Roman authorities. They did reserve it for the worst of criminals. And in a typical Roman crucifixion, the criminal would be scourged and whipped, and then they would be forced to carry this heavy crossbeam, and they would carry the crossbeam in public, and they would carry it to the crucifixion site. Now think about that. That's, that's, that's intended shame carry the very instrument of death that will be used to execute you. It's like being forced to dig your own grave, but much worse. The criminal would then typically be stripped naked, again, in front of others, more shame. And then they would be stretched onto the crossbeam. And I mean stretched tight to the point of almost the, the, the shoulders coming out of socket and then nailed to the crossbeam. 
And think rugged spikes, not smooth nails. The spikes would go through really the the wrist, which was considered part of the hand, so that the wrist and the bone could hold up the weight of the body and not rip through. Then they'd be hoisted up to the vertical beam. And the knees bent a little, the feet on top of one another, and then a spike through both feet at the same time. Again, incredible, excruciating pain. And then in order for the person to breathe on the cross, they'd have to pull up on the spikes in the wrist, push up uh, with their feet so they could get breath, and then they would slump down again. And to keep breathing, they would have to do this again and again and again. Each time to breathe was excruciating pain. It was a very slow, torturous death. History tells us, as we look at the history of crucifixions, that some victims lasted as long as four days in this continued misery. And eventually death would come through asphyxiation, where they would not be able to to breathe. And so when they they no longer had the strength to, to pull up and to push up and then to continue breathing, when they couldn't do that anymore, they would suffocate and die. And the Romans were known when they wanted to speed things up, they would break the legs of some victims in order to speed up the death because then they couldn't push up on the spikes in their feet and breathe. Josephus, the historian, he he said that to be crucified was to die a thousand deaths. And what he meant by that is is every breath that you took was was excruciatingly painful. And, And so it felt like you were about to die and then you'd get another breath and live again. And it just was repeated over and over until you finally passed. Another historian, Cicero, he said this, and these are Roman historians as well. Uh, Cicero is, he said this about crucifixion. There's no fitting word that can possibly describe so horrible a death, a deed, this kind of death. Cicero actually believed that the word cross should be removed from the thoughts the eyes and the ears of every Roman citizen because it was such a horrible sight. Even the word that I used earlier, excruciating, comes from crucifixion. It literally means out of the cross. If we could put that on the screen so you can see it, I want you to see that this word, out of the cross, and excruciating go together. When you, when, when you think of that word and you say something's excruciatingly painful, what you're actually saying is it's out of the cross painful. It's coming from crucifixion. And then eventually Constantine, the Roman emperor, he outlawed crucifixions in the Roman Empire. But the reality as we sit here today in 2022 is that none of us here has ever seen a crucifixion. We have no real 
concept of, of what it was like. I mean, we could see images, we could see, watch you know, a video or, or a movie, but we don't really have an idea of, of what it was like. And, and, and the question is, is that problematic, especially for Christians? And I would say, yes, it can be. I believe it, I believe it really can be. And, and I, and I want to give you some reasons why that's the case so that you can understand kind of where, we, where we're going and why it took some time to explain this. It wasn't just for uh, you know, sensational uh, reasons. I, I, there's a purpose in it. Why is that a problem that we've never seen this so we don't really have a concept of it? And for many of you, you might be thinking, I don't want to know. Why is that a problem? First, because the cross and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ is central to our faith and doctrine. The the cross and crucifixion is central to everything about what it means to be a Christian. So to just say, I don't really want to know, is not really an option for Christians. It's central to our faith and our doctrine. Second, because the reality and the scandal of worshiping a crucified king is lost on us sometimes. What do I mean by that? Crucifixion in the first century was scandalous. If you were crucified or you were a family member of someone who was crucified, it was, a, it was scandalous for you and your family. It was a horrible thing. It wasn't just that something happened. It, it was that you're a part of someone so horrible that they had to be crucified. Imagine a national story hitting social media, you know, first thing in the morning as you're getting, getting dressed, you're watching the news, every major media outlet is playing this horrific story Imagine hearing that someone is being accused of some heinous crime and it's just going on all day and everybody's hearing about it and everybody knows, but, but nobody knows who did it or, or, and, and if that's going to come out. And finally, as you're, you know, you're keeping up with your social media feeds and you're, and, and you're watching the news, imagine that the name and the face is Jesus. Because that's what it was like for the early Christians. They worshipped a crucified king. Meaning that everybody in the first century saw Jesus as a criminal. That was the worst that would happen to people. And now they're saying he's savior. He's Lord. Let me tell you, these first century Christians had a great understanding of what it meant to live in a world that did not accept them or their king and their savior. Sometimes that's lost on us. We want to introduce to people a Jesus that's nice. We want, we want to kind of remove the crucified Jesus. We don't want them to, we want them to know this other Jesus. But there is no other Jesus in the Bible. There's the crucified Jesus. And he's the, he's the Jesus that brings life. And third reason is because crucifixion is how we kill sin and receive forgiveness. So if crucifixion is how we kill sin and crucifixion is how we receive forgiveness, I would think we need to know and understand it. 
How can we truly understand how to kill sin and receive forgiveness if the means of that forgiveness comes through something that I have no concept of whatsoever, like crucifixion? So by becoming more familiar and understanding of the cross and crucifixion, we can all understand better what is central to our entire faith and doctrine. And so with all of that in mind, which I know I took some time to set up, I would like to now look at scripture. I'm going to ask you to turn to Romans 6. We're going to start reading there. Before I do, I want you to notice some words. I want you to take note of some words. Notice the word sin. Notice the word death. Notice the word crucified. Notice the word die. Notice the word dead. These are all words that are a big part of this text and they're all connected to the cross and crucifixion. So let me start reading Romans 6 verse 1. It'll also be here on the screen. This is Paul the apostle writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. These are the words, this is the word of God. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his what? Death. Now that baptism there is not water baptism. Water baptism is symbolizing this spiritual reality. That baptism is being immersed or united with Christ in his death. Do you not know, again, verse 3, that all of us who have been immersed or, or united into Christ Jesus, in other words, you're, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, you're united or, and immersed into Christ, that means for that to have happened, you had to be immersed into his death. Verse 4, we were buried therefore with him. You were buried? We were buried, therefore, with him. We weren't only united into his death, we're buried with him by baptism. Again, that, that is that, that, uh, that immersion into death, into Christ's death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too, and all those we's there are, are believers, Christians, we too might walk in newness of life. How do we walk in newness of life? As Christ was raised from the dead, we too identify with that, but it's because we were buried into his death. Verse five, for if we have, and I know this is difficult, I'm gonna explain it even more as we go through. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, what, what is that? What kind of death was Christ's death? Crucifixion. If we've been, we, 
Who's we? Believers. We've been united with him. In a death like his, in his crucifixion, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We, we love the resurrection part and praise God for that. Amen? But the resurrection is only for those who have been united in his death. A death like his. Verse 6, we know, we know, this is, this is Paul assuming. Christians, we know that our old self, your old nature, we talked about that in the beginning of this series, right? This, this, this condition that we have of wanting to sin, our old self was crucified. There it is, again. With him, Jesus in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, so that sin would no longer be our master. And then verse seven is just a testimony. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Who's been set free from sin? The one who has what? Died. But wait, I have to live to be set free from sin. How is it that I have to die? Verse eight. Now, if we have died with Christ, there it is again. We believe that we will also live with him. The living comes and it's connected to the dying. We know, verse nine, that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Will never die again. Yes, amen. Will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, in verse 10, he died to what? Sin. Was that his sin? No. That was our sin. That's your sin. That's my sin. Once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also, believers, must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Wow. Powerful. Now, Paul writes this. If we're going to be good students of the Bible, we don't read this. And the first question we ask is, what does that mean to me? We understand the audience that that Paul wrote this to is a Roman Christian first century audience. And they get crucifixion. And they get death. And they understand these words. This was extreme for them. If you're a first century reader, you're, you're thinking, this is extreme. He's talking a lot about crucified and crucifixions, and we know about that. It's, it's now today in the modern world where we can just kind of dismiss it. Jesus died for me, and then we just kind of move on. So I want to make this more real to us through the word of God 
So let's look now at two ways that crucifixion and our death to sin are related. We're going to break this down even more. So we'll start this way. Two ways that crucifixion and death, our, our death to sin are related. First one is this. Crucifixion was a death sentence. In the same way, being crucified with Christ is a death sentence to self and sin. So, so again, we're going to stick with this word crucifixion. And it's the word being used to, to explain what we're to do with sin. Then again, we better understand it. So when someone was sentenced to crucifixion, what did that mean for them? It meant death sentence. They knew it. Any, anybody reading this in the first century knows. If you are sentenced to crucifixion, you have been sentenced to death. So what does that mean spiritually then? Because Paul's using that word. This means that to be crucified with Christ must be understood as a death sentence. Death to what? Sin and self. Jesus in the Gospels. Matthew 16 says it again in Luke 14. If anyone would come after me, If anyone's going to follow me, let him deny himself and what? Take up his cross. What does the first century audience think of take up his cross? What does that mean to them? What do you take up your cross to go do? Die. That's what he's saying. This is what it means to follow Jesus. That's, that's, that's what he's saying. And so a person who is sentenced to crucifixion knows their end. And a person who has been crucified with Christ knows the same. To embrace Jesus as your Lord and Savior means you embrace the sentence of death to self and sin. Second, crucifixion left its victims to die. In the same way, being crucified with Christ means we allow and let sin die. In crucifixion, when the Romans were in no rush, the criminal would be left on the cross as long as needed. Overnight, during the day, into the next day, if they're still alive, let them go. Unless there's a reason to hurry it along. So the purpose was let them hang there until they die. They were left to die. And this is how the Bible is describing how we kill sin. We crucify it. In the same way, being crucified with Christ, we are to leave our sin to die. It's being crucified. Let it hang on the cross and die. Don't return to it. Don't try to resuscitate it. Don't try to breathe new life into it. That's the picture that's given here. John Stott, the English theologian, spoke to this. I'd like to give you and share this quote with you. He said, it is as if having nailed our old nature to the cross, we keep wistfully returning to the scene of its execution. We begin to hold it, to caress it, to long for its release. What he's talking about there is sin. We even try to take it down again from the cross because it's been crucified. We need to leave it there. 
When some jealous or proud or malicious or impure thought invades our mind, we must kick it out at once. It is fatal to begin to examine it and to consider whether we're going to give into it or not because we have declared war on it. We have crucified the flesh. We are never going to draw the nails. That's crucifixion language. He gets it. So, as in crucifixion, the victim is left to die. Believers let sin die. It's crucified. Now, moving on from that, I want to give you two truths from Romans 6 about us in relation to Christ's death and his crucifixion. First is this one. All true believers are united with Christ in his death. I mentioned that earlier as I read through it. Verse five, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, death like his is crucifixion death. So if you are here, say, pastor, I'm a, I'm a true believer, I'm born again, I'm a saved Christian, then you have been united with Christ in his death. That's what that means, his death, the cross, crucified, crucifixion. It means we were there. Not, not physically, but our sin was dealt with there when Christ died. We, we, we died is what, is, what, is what the text is saying. Not physically, but death to sin, the old life. So if I ask you, have you been united to Christ in a death like his? Meaning that when Christ died to atone for our sin, did you likewise die to sin? Because that's, that's the parallel. Because we've been united with him in his death. So there is no, we can't, we can't pull that apart. Second, when Christ was crucified, our old sin nature was crucified with him. Verse six, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. When Christ was crucified, our old sin nature was crucified too. Think about it. Your sin nature was stretched out on the cross beam and nailed to the cross. When Christ was crucified, so was our old sin nature. If we have been united with him in his death, it was crucified with him. It was brought to nothing is what Romans 6 tells us. So when you look at the cross, you need to remember that. You're not just looking at something that happened in past history that has nothing to do with you. You're looking at something that happened in past history that has everything to do with you because it's how you're living in righteousness today because you're united with him in his death. So we don't, it's not just we're singing about something that happens so long ago. We're singing about the fact that, that we have freedom today and because of what Christ has done, we've been united with him in his death. It means everything to us today. To be crucified with Christ means something. 
means everything, I want to give you two meanings as we continue to break this down. First one is this, being crucified with Christ means we are no longer slaves to sin, verse six. See that last phrase there, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Our old self was crucified with Christ for what reason? So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. We have been freed from the bondage of sin. The chains of sin on us have been broken by the death of Christ. See, this is, this is why we sang that song, I believe. And it's a great thing for us to believe. But if all you do today is leave here and say, yeah, I believe in Jesus and I believe that Jesus died. But you don't believe enough to actually unite yourself with him in his death. You're not saved. You gotta, it's more than just, I believe it happened. You have to, it has to, it has to mean something for you. And that means if you've been united with him in his death, you're killing sin because you've been freed from the bondage of sin. Second, being crucified with Christ means we consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Verse 11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Since we died with Christ, our old nature died with Christ, then the new nature lives. We are alive to God and his spirit and you must, we must consider this work done. We need to walk in the reality and the victory of this every day, consider it done. Consider yourself dead to sin. This is why when we talked about temptation and we know that the temptation is coming largely from our, right, our indwelling sin, the things that are in our own hearts, what are we doing with those things? We're at war with them because we're, not, we're like, no, I'm not, I'm not giving into this. This is, I'm, this is done. I'm united with Christ in his death. This is done. And I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus. And all of that is happening in and by faith. But Christ did even more. Because to die with Christ in his crucifixion is the only way to live with Christ forever through his resurrection. Verse four, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, we too might walk in newness of life. This is all symbolized in baptism. This is why a believer that has been united with Christ in his death should run to the baptism waters. Why? Because I want to symbolize what Christ has done for me. And this is what he's done. I've been baptized into his death. That's why we say, buried in the likeness of his son, raised to walk in the newness of life. We're symbolizing this tremendous reality of what Christ has done. If you want to live with Christ forever through his resurrection, 
you need to die with Christ in his crucifixion. That's what it's saying. And we walk in newness of life. The newness of life that happens through the spirit of God. I want to give you three encouragements to remember. All a result of Christ's death on our behalf. First one is this. The power to crucify sin comes only from the power of Christ's death and crucifixion for our sin. It's only because of Christ and what he's done. So when you look at the cross, you're looking at the very power over your sin because you are connected to it through Christ. If you are united with him in his death, which is exactly what Paul's saying in Romans 6. He's trying to, he's trying to stir up these Roman Christians. He's saying, if that's true, then, then this should be true. It's the same with us. Second, take comfort in knowing that God is more satisfied in Christ's atoning death for your sin than he is in condemning you for your sin. I want want to explain that so that's not taken the wrong way. Take comfort in knowing that God is more satisfied in Christ's atoning death for your sin than he is in condemning you for your sin. That applies for those united with Christ in his death and only for those. Because if you're not united with Christ in his death, then there is going to be condemnation and judgment. But for those who are united in his death, Romans 8 tell us that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, united with him in his death and then therefore in his life. But if you're united with him in his death, then your old self, your old nature has been crucified with him. So sin in your life is being killed. It's not being tolerated. And it doesn't mean you're perfect. I'm not saying you're perfect. What I'm saying is when, when we do sin, when we have these moments, we immediately move to having it killed. We go through that process of repentance and godly sorrow that we talk about uh, and, and we continue to find ways to have that killed in us. Because we're, we are united with Christ in his death. Third, it is at the cross through Christ's crucifixion that we stand forgiven for our sin. We talked for so long about sin over, these, over this series that you get to the point where you're like, man, do we need forgiveness? And Christ has provided it through his death. But it's not just through you saying, oh yeah, Christ died a long time ago. I'm so glad for that. Hopefully my sins are covered there. It's not it. It's believing in faith that the very worst you have done has been put upon him. And instead of condemning you, God had poured out his wrath on his son. And because you in faith trusted in Christ, you have been united with Christ in his death. And now you will live. 
It's way more than just, I believe he died a long time ago for sin. Ephesians 1, 7 through 10, such a great passage. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. So, that is why we have a cross so large, so central, so visible, because it is everything to us. It's life. It's life. The cross is life. It's an instrument of death. But now you know the answer. Yes, but I have been united with my Savior in his death, which has given me life. It's forgiveness, and it is your power over sin in and through the Holy Spirit of God doing that work in you. So we are united to that cross. Not just a symbol, again, of what happened to Christ, but a symbol of what happened to us. Amen? It's not just a symbol of what happened to Christ. It's a symbol of what happened to us. Why are you transformed? Why is the old gone and the new come? Because of the cross. Because I'm united with my Savior in his death. Christ's death was our death. And his life is our life. Only God could take a horrible instrument of death that humanity created and he can turn it into a symbol of hope and salvation for the world. All because of Jesus. I want to close with Galatians 2.20. This is our story. This is your story. This is your testimony. Listen to it, though, with new ears. Ears that understand crucifixion. I have been crucified with Christ and descends. That's how Paul writes that. That's you. It is no longer I who live. Right? Who, who lives? Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, this life that you see in me, the fact that I'm getting up in the morning and I'm going to work and I'm doing the things that I'm doing and I'm going to church and I'm, and I'm living out my life, that life that you now see me living in the flesh, meaning in physical form, how do I live that life? By faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. What an amazing testimony of what Christ has done for us. So as bad as all that we talked about related to sin, as bad as it all is, it, is, it cannot overcome the glory and the power of the cross and what Christ has done for us. Praise God for that. But we got to live in it. And we live in it by faith in the Son of God daily.
Let's pray together. Lord God, it is so humbling. It is overwhelming to think about what you have done for us. What you suffered through crucifixion on the cross, not because of wrong you did, but because of the worst that we have done in this room. And Lord, yet through that, we have a God who has been satisfied because he has seen the righteousness of his son and not the wickedness of those of us who have trusted in him. Thank you for the cross, for the power of it. Help each one of us to live in the reality of the victory of what you have won for us. Let us remember and and take joy in being united with you in your death so that we can also take joy in being united with you in your resurrection. Help us to live this life by faith in the Son of God. And I pray for those who are here who may never have trusted in you. Maybe they know Jesus lived. Maybe they know Jesus died. Maybe they believe that those things happened in history. But what they haven't done is trusted that this man, Jesus, who died and did what he did is what they need for salvation. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would lead them to trust you, to believe in Christ and to say, it's not just something that happened in the past, but it's something I'm gonna trust in for me. That through Christ's death, I can be forgiven. So Lord God, we want to declare to you how good, how wonderful you are. And that is why we love to sing about the cross. We love to sing about your, your wondrous work because it is, it is so humbling for us. It overwhelms us to think what you've done for us. But we give you all the praise and all the glory. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done for us. In your name, we pray. Amen.